Thank you for standing by and welcome to the Tyro Payments Limited H1 FY23 results call. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I would now like to hand the conference over to Fiona Packpoy, incoming chair of Tyro. Please go ahead. Thank you, Rachel, and good morning, shareholders, and our many registered guests. It's wonderful that there's so many who are interested in hearing our positive results. It's with great pleasure that I join you today as the incoming chair of Tyro. After close to four years as non-executive director and two years as chair of the People Committee, I'm really excited to chair Tyro going forward as we rejuvenate the business on our path to becoming the leading specialist payment and banking provider to Australian businesses, accelerating our delivery of innovation to our merchants. I'm joined today by John Davy, our CEO, and Prof Parler, our CFO. We released our results for the first half of the 2023 financial year this morning, and the results were very pleasing, showing strong performance in all key metrics, including transaction growth value, growth in merchant numbers, growth in lending originations, and improved operational leverage. Most importantly, this translates to our first statutory net profit and positive free cash flow for reporting period since we listed on the ASX. John and Pratt will provide you with more details on the results and our strategy going forward. However, while John and the entire Tyro team have had a single-minded focus to deliver on our strategy, you would be aware that we've been dealing with interest from third parties to acquire Tyro ongoing since the start of September last year. I would like to provide a brief update on the current process and the board's commitment to act in the interests of all shareholders. Following the drop in share price in the 2022 financial year, the board was acutely aware that the price in which Tyro shares were trading did not reflect the fundamental, fundamental value of the business. Consequently, the board undertook a significant amount of work to assess the intrinsic value of the business, taking into account our attractive growth prospects as Tyro continues to take share in the Australian payments and business banking markets, our continued improvement in operating leverage, and that Tyro is well-funded and capitalised to support our growth ambitions. The results we've achieved in the first half of the 2023 financial year and our upgraded FY23 guidance are a clear indication that Tyro is delivering on its strategy to be profitable and operate on a positive free cash flow basis whilst delivering a significantly better customer experience whilst also further reducing our cost base. The share price levels at which Tyro was trading clearly made its takeover targets for strategic buyers and private equity we see the long-term value of the Tyra payments and banking propositions. On the 7th of September last year, Tyra received a non-binding indigenous offer from Potentia to acquire Tyra at $1.27 per share. This was followed by interest from other parties, including Westpac, and a further offer received from Potentia on the 11th of December 2022 at $1.60 per share. Once the board carefully considered all the offers and interest from third parties with the assistance from our legal and financial advisors, the board determined that the offers presented by the third parties significantly undervalued Tyro and as such were not in the best interest of shareholders as a whole. I would like to take this opportunity to assure our shareholders that Tyro remains open to engaging with any credible change of control proposal it receives that, represent, that represents compelling value to Tyro shareholders as a whole. We continue to engage with Potentia, who are currently undertaking the board of due diligence office to enable them to develop a significantly improved proposal and confirm the necessary funding commitments attached to any possible future offer. Tyro notes that there is no certainty that a further non-binding addition to offer, 
or a binding offer or indeed a transaction of any kind will eventuate. We will engage with all shareholders and keep you updated with discussions of potential progress. But I would like to again reiterate that the board will only consider offers that represent compelling value for you, our shareholders. With that, I would like to hand over to John and Craig to take you through the first half FY23 results. Thank you, Fiona, and good morning to everyone. This is the first period since COVID-19 first impacted our community. The business for customers that we support has returned to more normal conditions. It was, however, also a half characterised by rising inflation and rising interest rates. It is in this environment that Tyro delivered a strong third-half result, driven by growth in all our industry vehicles and the continued adoption of cust by customers of payment and banking products. The investor presentation I will refer to today was released earlier this morning and is available on the ASX platform and on our Tyro Investor Centre. In this presentation, I'll talk to you about our business and our ongoing focus on growth, profitability, delivery and innovation, the opportunity we have to maintain momentum, our immediate strategic priorities, and key financial and operating highlights for the heart. That will then take us through our financial performance before I provide a trading update and answer questions. I will now direct you to slide four of the investor presentation. The last six months have been significant for Tyro in four areas. Growth, profitability, delivery and innovation, and through the renewal of leadership. We've had strong, strong growth across several parts of our business, including the value of payments process, the number of customers that we've added, and in the value of loans that have been originated. Transaction value growth has been significant, up 37% on the corresponding period, driven by a 9% increase in customer numbers, a reopened economy, and the impact of inflation. We've also seen an increase of 40% in gross profit and 101% increase in the value of loans originated. Our customer growth has been accelerated by distribution of our products through our exclusive partnership with Telstra. Tyro's terminal and the Tyro Go card reader are available in more than 350 Telstra stores. During the first half, 13% of all applications were initiated by Telstra. We can also confirm that as of this week, Tyro Go is available in over 400 Australia Post stores across the country. We are excited to partner with Telstra and Australia Post two of Australia's most iconic brands, and we firmly believe both will make a significant contribution to Tyro's continued growth. We've also launched a digital sales and onboarding process by Tyro.com and through our partner channels. This will remove some of the friction associated with our current sales process and deliver a significantly better customer experience. We've had a strong focus on operating expense management which together with our growth has helped drive Tyro's profitability. In early October, I announced implementation of the cost reduction program to deliver a 10% reduction in the number of Tyro team members and an $11 million in annualised operating cost savings. Largely completed by early November, this program is on track to meet targets. Coupled with strong, strong transaction value and lending growth, I am pleased to today confirm a statutory net profit of $1.1 million and $600,000 of free cash flow for the heart. This is Tyro's first reporting period profit as a publicly listed company. 
When I started as CEO in October, we rationalised our project investment and prioritised a small number of critical initiatives. I'm pleased to confirm we've made good progress on these. During the half, our Tyro Go card reader went live, and Next Generation Android Platform Terminal was launched, and our automated customer onboarding experience was implemented. While there is work to do to scale these offerings, strong progress has been made, and we now have platforms we can build on. As announced two weeks ago, we've entered an in-principle settlement of the class action filed in the Federal Court of Australia relating to the terminal connectivity issue that occurred in January 2021. As noted in our ASX release, closure is subject to court approval, but payment of the settlement amount is not expected to involve any additional cost or expense to Tyro. Finally, we've seen the renewal of leadership in both board and our management team. On our board, Fiona has been elected as our new chair to replace David Cody, and Claire Hatton and Shapali Roy joined our board during 2022. Our management team has also been renewed. I was appointed CEO in mid-September, taking over from Robbie Cook on the 3rd of October. During the past six months, we've also made changes to the leadership about technology, product, and health team. Turning now to slide five. Our vision is to be Australia's leading financial services technology and innovation company. We have a history of backing Australian businesses and reimagining payments and banking. Our value proposition is based on our strength as Australia's leading specialised payments provider and our differentiated industry-based customer solutions. We have direct integrations to more than 330 point-of-sale systems that deliver customers a simple payment and reconciliation solution. Our banking licence is unique among local and international specialised payment companies operating in the Australian market. It allows us to deliver, to deliver faster settlement for customers, offer solutions that not only support being paid, but also helping customers pay their suppliers, and it allows us to provide simple working cash flow solutions. We also provide Australian-based 24 by 7 custom support. Turning to page 6. The opportunity for Tyro is significant, both in our traditional in-store card payment business, but also by providing banking products and services to the over 66,000 customers that support Tyro today. With more than $740 billion of in-store payments processed annually, Tyro has today captured less than 6% of the total market. In an industry that has grown at 4.8% annually for the past five years, we have outpaced the market by a factor of almost six to deliver annual growth of more than 27%. Our 20% share in key verticals and our continued growth in hospitality, retail and health highlight not only the opportunity that exists when industry-leading customer features are provided, but the potential we see in the broader market. On page 7 now. We also see significant opportunities to leverage our banking licence to deepen the relationship our customers have with us through the provision of banking products and services. We believe that Tyro's lending solution remains the leading cash flow management solution in market. Our data highlights that customers that have a loan with us 
are two and a half times more satisfied and significantly less likely to churn. Today, less than 10% of our customers have an active Taro bank account, and only 6% have taken a loan. In the first half, we originated $72.7 million of lending, of which 77% was from repeat customers. This highlights that customers that have access to lending and a simple product that helps them manage cash flow love it. The opportunity is to make it available to more of our customers. We have 25,000 inactive bank accounts, that is customers who have opened a bank account but not yet activated it. We are working to drive activation of these accounts. In turn, this will drive deposit growth and facilitate lending eligibility. With average annualised interest income on loans of 24.4%, an ability to fund lending at a stable and attractive cost of funding, and low penetration of banking amongst our established customer base, the opportunity is significant. Turning now to page eight and our immediate strategic priorities. We have three immediate strategic priorities that guide our decision making, our project prioritization, and our investments. Payment and banking product innovation, revenue growth and margin optimization, and operating efficiency and cost reduction. Referring firstly to payment and banking product innovation. Developing the products, features, and payment and banking solutions that our customers want is core to our planning. Our immediate focus on implementation of new payment acceptance form factors with Tyro Go, our card reader solution, and Tyro Pro, our new Android-based terminal, are progressing well and though early days, we are pleased with the preliminary results. In health, we have prioritised the integration of our digital platform with new third-party funding sources for private health and medical specialist plans. And we will shortly launch new web banking capabilities that will open new opportunities to drive growth in our banking business. Referring to revenue and margin optimisation. Optimising revenue generation while carefully managing margin is critical to the realisation of financial outcomes. During the first half, we pursued initiatives that drive value for Tyro and for our customers. We are working on products and product features that include a zero-cost acquiring solution and on enhancements to our tap-and-save least-cost routing feature. We are also in the process of finalising strategies to undertake a rolling program of customer profitability analysis and repricing. Our banking licence will drive an increase in average revenue per customer, capturing deposits and funding a growing lending portfolio. Finally, referring to operating efficiency. We will continue to manage our operating costs with discipline and an owner's mindset. While the October cost reduction program has been completed, changes to the operating model plan for implementation in the coming months will provide greater clarity of accountability and further streamline operations. We have also prioritised the ongoing digitisation of customer acquisition, onboarding and customer service. We are implementing our digital service strategies to deliver a leading customer experience and drive cost efficiencies. Automated customer onboarding is the first of these initiatives that will be followed with a focus on digital self-service. 
Turning now to H1 performance on page 9. The first half of FY23 has been, has been a strong one for Tyro. We are pleased to report a statutory $1.1 million profit and to have delivered $600,000 of positive free cash flow. As I noted earlier, this is the first profitable result Tyro has delivered as a publicly listed company. Our focus on growth, profitability, delivery and innovation is gaining momentum. We demonstrated strong performance against most operating and financial metrics. Compared to the corresponding period, our key growth metrics were all up. Transaction value was up 37%, gross profit was up 40%, EBITDA increased from 2.8 to $19.5 million. We increased our custom account by 9% and the number of activated bank accounts and loan originations increased by 10% and 101% respectively. Our focus on profitability is highlighted by our statutory profit results, a positive free cash flow and operating leverage that has decreased from 95.9% to 79.6% compared to the corresponding period. We are pleased that the 2023 financial year is off to a strong start and that we are well positioned to maintain momentum into the second half. Turning now to page 10, our payments business overview. Our transaction value of $21.7 billion was 37% higher than the prior period and resulted in a five-year annual growth rate of 27%. The half did benefit from external factors, including the absence of COVID lockdowns and inflation. But we saw, more, we saw a growth of more than 60% in our hospitality vertical and 32% in our health vertical. Hospitality remains our largest industry vertical with 35% of customers, now followed by health at 26% and retail at 22%. We also saw international card transaction value increase to 2.3%. We generated 8,473 new customer applications, an average of 1,400 per month and a 15% increase in the half. The core Tyro customer base grew by 16%. Our Bendigo customer base decreased, however, the number excludes approximately 1,000 customers who were in transit the reporting date and were neither recorded on Bendigo or Tyro systems. Transaction value remains in line with expectations. Customer churn was 11.7%, up from 10.1% in the corresponding period. Analysis highlights that 50% of this was caused by businesses closing their doors. Transaction value churn of 8.9% is slightly down on the corresponding period and well within acceptable levels. Finally, I refer to page 11 and an overview of our banking business. As I've highlighted, our banking business, particularly lending, has gained momentum during the first half. <coughs> Total originations of $72.7 million were 101% up on the prior period, and we now average $3 million in lending per week. Our net interest income of $5.2 million for the half was up from $1.8 million, and lending losses of 1.2% of originations, though a watch point, indicate that these continue to be well managed. We believe that our lending products that see loans repaid with a percentage of daily takings 
and an average loan tenure of a relatively short six months provides a good level of risk mitigation in the event of further economic downturn. While our number of activated transaction and deposit accounts has increased by 5%, deposit balances have decreased. Tyro has two deposit products, a transaction account and term deposit account. Outstanding balances in the transaction account of the half were 88.1 million. Our term deposit increased to $6.9 million from $5.8 million. We believe our deposit products provide a compelling proposition to customers, including seven-day settlement not available to customers using non-PIRO accounts. However, enhancements are required to add further value, and we must improve our marketing and customer onboarding. Much of this activity will complete in the second half. While needing to be addressed, a deposit to loan book ratio of 2.1 times provides headroom for future loan book growth. I will now hand over to Craig, who will take us through the detailed financial performance. Thank you, John. If you could all please send this slide 13. The financials for the first half were strong and we delivered what we committed to, which is strong growth and improving EBITDA margin assisted by our cost reduction program announced in early October and positive free cash flow for the half year. Importantly, this was achieved earlier than forecast. The best measure of our growth is gross profit, which performs strongly as we continually balance our payments portfolio for potential volatility in card mix and margin. For the half, we posted a gross profit of $95.2 million which represented a solid growth of 40% compared to the first half of FY22. Part of this growth is attributed, attributed to the COVID impact in the comparative half, with the vast majority of our merchants managing through this period and now trading strongly, especially in our hospitality vertical. I will talk about performance of vertical later in this presentation. Growth in gross profit resulted in a strong positive EBITDA for the half year. At $19.5 million, EBITDA was more than seven times greater than the prior comparative period. For the first time, the EBITDA margin exceeded 20%, moving closer to our global peers as we begin to demonstrate the long-term profitability potential of the business. The cost reduction program announced in October 2022 also assisted in driving up the improved EBITDA margin, although the realization of the benefits of the program will be more meaningful in the second half of the financial year. Our focus on free cash flow meant that Tyro finished the half year in positive territory and posted its first statutory profit since listing. While we had guided to exit the end of FY23 positive free cash flow, merchant trading surpassed our internal forecast, partially driven by the impact of inflation on customer trading volumes. We consequently upgraded our guidance for the full year in January. As John will talk about shortly, we are confident of achieving our revised guidance. If you could please turn to slide 14 to review our first half in more detail. Our strong growth was underpinned by transaction value growth of 37% versus the prior comparative period. The growth was driven by a number of factors that favorably impacted our business. Firstly, the comparative half was significantly impacted by COVID, with both New South Wales and Victoria being extended lockdowns. Under normal conditions, these states represent around 60% of our total transaction value. The six months of December 2022 was the first half in the last three years which was free from lockdowns and border closures. 
Merchant trading grew strongly and merchant churn of 11.7% per annum was better than our internal forecast. We saw inflation drive up our average transaction basket size for our customers. For the six months to December 2022, the average basket size for transaction was $44 compared to $42 for the six months to December 2021, an increase of 4%. Our hypothesis is that some of this increase, especially for products with inelastic demand, will now be embedded into our future portfolio growth. However, this is yet to be tested. For the first half, while interest rates have risen, we have not yet seen a significant decrease in discretionary spend. We have, however, exercised appropriate caution in guiding for the transaction value growth for the second half of the year. These factors resulted in us processing a record $21.7 billion for the half. Of this, the Tyro core book represented $19 billion, which is a growth rate of 42%. At a five-year cadre of 27.6%, we are outpacing overall market growth by six times. In analyzing this performance, our hospitality vertical continues to be our strongest performer. At $9.3 billion, it comprised 49% of the core transaction value and grew by an impressive 60% of the comparative half. The retail vertical processed $5.5 billion, up 24% from the comparative half, while the health vertical comprised $2.5 billion, up 32% from the comparative half. The remaining $1.6 billion was outside of our core three verticals, which also grew strongly at 35%. The Bendigo book contributed a further $2.8 billion for the half year. Further adding to our growth profit performance, although from a smaller base, was our banking business. Our loan originations more than doubled for the half year, with close to $73 million in lending. With only 6% of our merchants currently using this unique and innovative cash flow management product, a large opportunity remains untapped. We expect the banking business to meaningfully contribute to our gross profit into the future, allowing our strong growth momentum to continue. Translating the above drivers to the income statement and starting with the payments business, growth in both revenue and direct expenses exceeded transaction value growth. Revenue grew by $63.4 million or 43.5%. Driven by merchant service fee increases in the period and a shift in card mix. As expected, there were increases in more expensive international and premium card categories as trading conditions returned to normal. Offsetting the $63.4 million increase in revenue was an increase of $40.1 million in direct expenses. The net increase in gross profit contributed by payments was therefore $23.3 million, which was an increase of 36% of the prior comparative period. This correlates to the 37% growth in transaction value. I will talk to the margin trends in more detail shortly, covering both things like the pricing and changes in card mix. Moving on to our growing banking business. We originated $72.7 million in lending in the first half of FY23 compared to $36.2 million in the corresponding period. Of the $72.7 million, $56.1 million in loans were to repeat borrowers, demonstrating the strong value proposition of this product. We recognized interest income of $5.2 million in lending, but offsetting this was income. Offsetting this income was a negative fair valuation of $0.8 million which includes a conservative estimate from management on the potential impact of a downturn in the economy in the second half. As a result, 
Banking contributed $4.2 million in gross profits compared to $2.4 million in the comparative past. While we remain cautious of the macroeconomic environment in the short term, we aim to grow the banking business in line with our strategy and within our risk appetite. For the first half of this year, we were targeting to originate $3 million per week, which we achieved. Adding value to the banking business is our ability to fund loans and working capital, buy stable and attractively priced deposits, which will grow as the need arises. In aggregate, therefore, we report a gross profit of $95.2 million, up from $68.1 million in the corresponding period, a growth of 40% of $27.1 million. Operating expenses of $75.7 million was up $10.4 million, or 16% to the comparative half, but a 4% increase to the second half of FY22. You will find details of these in the appendix. However, walking through the large variances, a $4.6 million increase in employee and contractor costs, representing $2.6 million increase in permanent salaries, and $2 million for short-term contractors. $2 million were in terminal repairs and logistics costs. We rolled out 5,200 terminals to Bendigo merchants through the year and refurbished terminals to mitigate any terminal supply issues. $1.4 million was in license and hosting costs, including cybersecurity. As a result, we reported an EBITDA of $19.5 million being a combination of the growth in both the payment and banking business and a disciplined approach to expenses. As payments comprise more than 90% of our gross profits, it will be useful to analyze the margin trends, which I will do so on the next slide. If please turn to slide 15. This slide analyzes the performance of the Tyra Core Book, the MSF, or Merchant Service Fee, which is the topmost line you see on the graph, was up four basis points compared to the second half of FY22, and about seven basis points compared to the first half. MSF is largely driven by pricing and carbon exchanges. Of the seven basis points increase, around five basis points relates to the price increases we implemented in March and September last year, while the remainder is due to more expensive casting process in the half year, and their fee is being passed on to merchants on certain pricing plans. More specifically, we processed 31% in premium cards, up from 28% in the comparative half, while international transactions increased to 2.3%, up from 0.6% on the comparative half. Net merchant acquiring fees, which is the light blue line in the graph, is our indicator of transaction margin. This was up 1.2 basis points compared to the first half of FY22. The last two price rises have served to offset any cost increases and the dilutionary impact of the more expensive cards. As a result, we improved our net margin while at the same time grew our total transaction value by 37%. And finally, gross profits, which is the light green line, remains steady at 41.3 basis points. Gross profits includes income other than net function acquiring fees, notably terminal rental income, which is a fixed monthly fee not related to transaction value. Turning now to slide 16. We have consistently spoken about the business's long-term ability to achieve improved operating leverage and ultimately generate free cash flow. From the chart on the left, you can see the operating leverage improving consistently year on year from 116% in FY17 down to 88% in FY21. In FY22, however, 
there was an increase as we continue to invest in the business while the economy went into extended lockdown. With a combination of strong growth and the focus on cost management in the first half of FY23, we saw the operating leverage drop to below 80%, a significant improvement of 13 basis percentage points from FY22. The impact of the cost reduction program is best seen by comparing halves, with the drop in expense being only 4% compared to the second half of FY22. Only two months of the cost reduction program were realized in the reporting period, with the rest to come through in the second half. For your modeling purposes, I would call out that our salary review cycle is the 1st of January, January each year. You should factor in the increases from salary reviews and the benefit of the cost reduction program in the full cost. We are guiding towards an operating leverage for the full year of 79%, allowing us to balance profitability with appropriate investment into the business as required. Turning to the next slide, we are committed to delivering positive free cash flow, which we did earlier this forecast. For the first half, starting with our normalized EBITDA of $19.5 million, $17 million was spent on capital expenditure, which included $10.2 million on terminals and approximately $6.6 million on project capitalization. These were largely for the three main projects we have spoken about delivering, being the Android-based HyroPro, Tyrogol Reader, and Automated Onboarding. We continue to guide the total year capex to circa $35 million. Redundancy payments of $1.2 million and other cash payments of an aggregate amount of $0.5 million were incurred in the half. We expect the full year free cash flow to be similar in addition to the guidance we have provided. Additional cash outflows that should be modeled in for the second half, which are not in the first, are office rentals, change of control costs, and vendor guarantee payments. As part of incentives for our offices at 55 Market Street, we have negotiated a rent-free period for year one. As such, the first half has no rent payments. However, an outflow of $2 million should be factored in for the second half of the year. Secondly, $1.9 million of change of control costs have been accrued for in the first half that remain unpaid. And finally, any shortfall in the annual vendor commission payment, which is currently estimated at circa $1 million, will be paid in the second half. Moving on to slide 18, which is more for information, where we clearly show the reconciliation between our first half statutory results to underlying normalized results. The largest adjustment to statutory results is the removal of the gross profit share from our Bendigo line. The payment to Bendigo is essentially a commission expense, and we therefore reflect the payments by reducing gross profit. Switching costs incurred for merchants who are yet to transition to tire switch are temporary and will disappear in the next financial year. Our investment in the EU fell below 5% in this half. We have historically accounted for this investment using the equity accounting method. Given the revised shareholding, we now carry the asset at fair value and therefore recognize a gain of circa $4 million in our account. This was a one-off non-cash adjustment, which we have removed from our reported revenue. And finally, $3.1 million in expenses were removed, being the cost incurred in change of control methods, as well as redundancy payments. That concludes the financial section of our presentation. Recapping the three key messages. Firstly, continued strong growth for the year. Secondly, an improving of the margin, which for the first time was over 20%. And finally, positive free cash flow achieved earlier than forecast. We look forward to delivering the second half of the year as guided to the market. 
Thank you for your attention. I will now pass back to John for a further update. Thank you, Craig. Now moving to slide 19. We've seen a strong start to the second half. Transaction value for the period January 1 until last Friday, February 24, was $6.3 billion, 23% higher than the corresponding period. Loan origination for $22.5 million, a 30% up, slightly lower than our $3 million per week average from the first half, but in line with forecasts for the January holiday period. At the end of January, group profit was $15.4 million, up 39%. EBITDA was $3.6 million, and our operating leverage was 76.6%. I would highlight that the months of December, and in particular January, typically have lower expenses as we benefit from annual leave provisioning releases. As a result, operating leverage was lower in the short term. Finally, if you could turn to slide 20. On January 16, we upgraded our earnings guidance for the 2023 financial year. I am pleased to reaffirm that we are on track to deliver all metrics within the guided range. To conclude, and before we turn to questions, over the past six months, we've had a strong focus on growth, cost management, delivery, and innovation. This has led to a very good first half result, including record EBITDA, profitability, and achieving positive free cash flow for the first time. We have delivered important initiatives which have delivered benefits to our customers, our, competitive, our competitiveness, and to our current and future growth. We believe that Tyro has a long runway, both in our traditional payment business, but also by leveraging our banking license which is unique among our specialised payment competitors. We remain as ambitious today as we were when we were founded 20 years ago, and we believe that the market opportunity is as, is as compelling as ever. This financial year is off to a strong start, and we are well positioned to maintain this momentum into the second half. I now invite any questions as directed by our call host. Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star 2. If you're on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Your first question comes from Tim Pryser with UBS. Please go ahead. Uh, morning, John Bob. Um, thanks for taking the questions. Um, good to see that uh, payment net margins quite half on half. Maybe just a comment around what you're thinking in terms of pricing reviews over the next six to 12 months, just noting that obviously mixed with debit card transactions dropping off an international mix moving higher, it's sort of accelerated through the half, um, and then also it looks like uh, it's changed sort of up 30 bits or so half on half. What's your expectation in those trends and when do you plan to put through further pricing? Uh, I, might, uh, I might ask Craig to take that one. Hey Tim, uh, good morning. Um, so in terms of pricing changes, we have done uh, two pricing changes over the last um, 12 months, being in uh, March and September. One of them was a delayed one as the merchant firm Colgate and we delayed the pricing change. So we're doing a small pricing change as we speak right now. Um, other than that, we probably don't expect any further pricing changes for the, um, till the end of the financial year. I 
think uh, we are back into our guidance of, of regular craft interviews, so um, the next one will be scheduled for about six months. But I think we've got a couple of other initiatives where um, John has just spoken about. So we've got Zero Plus Acquiring, which we're expecting to generate greater margin in terms of new businesses coming on board. Um, we also are looking to do a continual uh, portfolio performance review much regularly than every six months um, on smaller scale each month. So again, from a margin management perspective, we are looking to maintain or improve our margin. The increase in interchange and team costs uh, are, are purely driven by the changing card mix. So um, international cards competitive with prior comparatives went up from 0.6% to 2.3%. Uh, and then commercial and premium cards, which are both um, not as expensive, but, but more expensive than the average MSF and in, uh, direct costs went up from 28% to 31%. Uh, we ended the year with the debit cards about 67% compared to 60% last year. Okay, got it. So is that small pricing increase occurring through at the moment? Will that keep the net uh, MAF margin sort of sludge through this half compared to the first half? It, it would. I would probably not read too much into that, though, um, because it, it, it's a much smaller scale. It's on merchants that have not been priced um, last time, which was the larger cohort. Um, I think what we factored into our guidance, if you look at our second half, is, is pretty much flat or slightly lower margin um, as international increases a little bit. Um, but that guidance of roughly 187 to 191 um, remains valid. Okay, but it sounds like you're going to now be a little bit more active on an ongoing basis in terms of reviewing pricing across merchants rather than uh, sort of your annualised price increases as well. Is that a fair statement? Exactly right, yeah. Got it, thanks. And sorry, can you just um, quickly run through those second half cash flow items that you outlined uh, in the press? I just missed a couple of those. The first one um, is rental uh, rental expense. We had negotiated a rent free period uh, for year one for our new premises. Um, we expect approximately two million dollars to come through in the second half, which would be from January to June. Um, we have accrued about 1.9 million dollars being legal fees and um, consulting costs in the first half, which are yet to be paid. So that should come through in the second half. And then finally, um, as we've noted before, we could guarantee payments to Bendigo for the first four years, and any shortfall in that guaranteed amount actually would need to be paid. It doesn't hit the P&L, but it actually comes to our cash flow. Um, we were expecting that shortfall to be about a million dollars to be paid around about June this year. That's a total of uh, about five million dollars. Thanks, thanks for that. Uh, no, just a, a, a question on the on the merchant churn level. It's picked up a note that. You know, payments churn sort of sluggish, but you said it's sort of ahead of where you're expecting that to come in. Um, I mean, was there an expectation that the macro was going to impact in terms of churn? Um, and what are you sort of expecting through the second half? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think Tim, that this is something that we would obviously watch. As you as you note, the uh, merchant churn uh, has increased. We actually see this as being perhaps more related to a number of 
what's commonly called the zombie businesses that have sort of closed in that post-COVID period. And when we've actually looked at our analysis, as I indicated in my um, in my speech, about 50% of the volume seems to be coming from businesses that are closing. Um, so it is something that we're that we are watching. But as you as you also noted, when we look at transaction value share, and that's slightly down on the uh, the half. So um, we're reasonably comfortable with where that's at. Okay, thanks. So just sorry, another one on the financials. The scheme receivables uptick. I know there's usual seasonality in that, but seasonality looks a little bit larger. Was there some particular timing issues there? Yeah, um, so our nesting receivables are always high on weekends because um, effectively when we pre fund uh, and we are yet to receive the money from the scheme, um, which would then happen on the Monday or the Tuesday, so December 31st happened to be on a Saturday. Which also, um, by the way, compresses our um, capital ratio temporarily, which was uh, at 33%, it's still very strong, but at 33% for that month. I understand, got it. Sorry, if I could just squeeze one more in, just on the Bendigo merchant count, uh, I know that's, sort of, that's been sort of coming down a bit. You mentioned there's about 1,000 merchants that are sort of in transition there. I mean, do you expect all 1,000 of those to remain as merchants, or should we knock a few out of that number? No, I think that there's really a timing issue, Tim, where um, as we are transitioning customers from the Bendigo switch onto Tyro switch, we've just got a short period there where they're... Um, uh, whether or not recorded on either system, we would expect those merchants uh, to migrate. And when we look at the transaction value that's coming through the, through the Bendigo relationship, it's in line with our forecasts and expectations. So um, I would expect those thousand to come across. Great, thanks. I'll leave it there. Thanks for taking the questions. The next question comes from Brenton Correct with Macquarie. Please go ahead. Bring in your line is live into the call. Great, so can we move on to the next question, please? The next question comes from Elijah Mir with CLSA. Please go ahead. Good morning, guys. Uh, just a couple from me. Maybe if we could go into the trading update in a bit more detail. Are you able to split? the transaction value growth uh, between January and February. I'm just conscious that January 22 would have still had a bit of a hangover of mandatory um, isolation within that period. So this was one of you get a, a split maybe between the January growth and the February growth. Um, look, we're not, we'll probably have to come back to you on that one. We're not really able to provide any more detail than, uh, than is included here. I mean, I think the, on a prior period, if we go back to uh, January last year, while there were not lockdowns in place, I think that there were many cases of self-imposed lockdowns that, uh, that we saw. Um, so that perhaps explains some of the, uh, the pretty significant increase. Um, but any sort of further detail, I think we'd need to come back to. I might just add that the media release that will go actually break it down by month, and you can take January and do that. No problem. I'll um, I'll have a look into that in more detail. Thank you. Um, and then, are you able to make some comments on the the merchant growth number for the first two months into second half 23? 
So we don't normally comment on merchants for the month of January, and the reason being we report active merchants, uh, which by definition is any merchant that has transacted at least once during the month. Uh, and a large number of our merchants actually are not active in the month of January from a seasonal perspective. Um, so while we monitor it internally, um, we effectively report merchants on, uh, from February onwards which happens to be today, so unfortunately, one year there any more color to that yet. No problem. And then maybe just one final one, maybe in a more general sense. I mean, over the last sort of 12 months, there's been some changes from, from big four banks in terms of terminals offered and, and pricing. Has there, any, has there been any change, I guess, on who you're taking share from across the big banks or some of the international competitors? Has there been a shift in where you're winning Merchants, or is that largely unchanged? No, I would say it's largely unchanged. We do continue to uh, take share from uh, the major banks. Um, we haven't seen any any noticeable changes over the last twelve months in that. Are there any banks that you can sort of call out? I guess that just sort of taking more share from, or ones that are performing better than others. No, no, we're not able to provide any of that kind of uh, colour. No problem. Thanks for the questions. Once again, if you're sure to ask a question, please press star 1 on the telephone and wait for your name to be announced. Your next question comes from John Campbell with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, just one question from me around the, the uh, lending book. The, the loss rate of the originations obviously went up um, significantly on PCP. It's obviously a very small, absolute figure. But, um, you know, given the consumer environment and the macro environment we seem to be heading into, um, I mean, how are you feeling about that sort of loss rate to originations of 1.2% around that level um, as a sort of a go-forward assumption? John, I think we're feeling pretty comfortable about it at the moment. And yes, I acknowledge that on a um, comparative theory that uh, it is well up, but it's certainly well within our um, risk tolerance level. So while it's something that we want to be able to, that we are actively tracking and managing, there's no alarm bells ringing for us at the moment. And um, we are, we're pretty comfortable with where we stand at 1.2% uh, of origination. I might just add to that as well. Um, so while we are heading into the um, into a complex environment, um, the risk we don't see as the same as a normal articulate lending product as well. With the nature of it, um, we take an upfront fee and the balance actually reduces on a daily basis, reducing the credit risk on a daily basis as well. And the loans are fairly short term, mostly repaying within six months. And is, are there any sort of learning tools from in the past six months in terms of managing um, bad and doubtful debts going forward, or is it, do you feel if your processes are pretty much, um, you know, um, as, as you want them to be? You know, I, I, again, I think it's something that we've watched continually and we're looking at ways we can improve, but there's, um, there's nothing that we've learned over the last six months which has had any um, significant impact on the way that we're, uh, the way that we're managing bad and doubtful. So, um, Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I'll now hand back to John for closing remarks.
Okay, well, uh, thank you everyone. Thank you for joining today. Um, we'll, uh, we'll call that to an end then.